never wanted to do live events. I frankly hated attending live events. I was conferenced out. Yet this nagging, compelling thing was once again like gnawing at me. And I think so many of us, we have it. And so like lo and behold, I bounced it around with my boyfriend and I was like, all right, I think I'm going to do it. And seven weeks later, I sold out our first event with the podcast. And it was the first time where I was like, oh, this thing can make money. So it was like eight months, no revenue, two months, six figures. You are now entering a new paradigm. So here is my issue. I wanted to find the answers to life's biggest questions. Things like, how do I become happy and live with purpose? How do I make more money doing what I love? And what does it mean to be truly successful in all areas of life? My name is Josh Forty, at Josh Forty on Instagram, and I ask life's biggest questions and share the answers with you. My goal is to help you find purpose, happiness, and open your mind to new realms of possibility by helping you think differently about everything you do, know, and understand. On this podcast, we think different, we dream bigger, and we live in a world without limits. This is a new paradigm. Welcome to the Think Different Theory. What's up, guys? Welcome back to another episode of Think Different Theory. My name is Josh Forty, and I'm sitting here today, um, and it's absolutely freezing cold in my apartment. Um, I have the air conditioning cranked down to like 67 or 68 degrees uh, because... In Omaha, it's normally like hot during the summertime. And you would think that August, it would still be warm and you know hot because it's still summer. But no, uh, today I woke up and asked my little Alexa what uh, the temperature was and it was 62 degrees outside. And I was like, oh my gosh. So uh, it's freezing outside, it's freezing inside. But all that to be said, we have a super... I, Man, I was gonna say smoking hot, but I oh, that would m- <laughs> make it go for the looks. I was I was thinking about like I was trying to go for the uh, the, the hotness of like red hot, uh, full of value, and an interesting topic here. But we have a great interview uh, here today for you. A great guest coming up. Who it's funny because I don't actually know a whole ton about her, which is one of my favorite types of people to interview because when you just know that someone is interesting, but you kind of get to learn about them through a conversation and kind of document that and and catch that um, on a recording and put it in a podcast. That can be super fun. And so my next guest though is someone I was on her podcast and we just had a great time. And after our conversation, I was like, all right, she's cool. I I gotta have her on the show because she's done some amazing things and I think is really going to uh, be in alignment with and resonate with a lot of the listeners. I want to welcome to the program, Jules, is it Schroeder? Schroeder, you got Schroeder. it. Schroeder, Jules Schroeder, welcome and thank you so much for being here. Josh, thank you so much for having me. <laughs> what an introduction! And oh, uh, yeah, yeah, I hear you on the weather changes. I'm up in Colorado, as we were just talking about before, and it's like getting colder and hotter and colder and hotter. Global warming uh, does feel quite real. <laughs> oh man, I tell you, I, I will say, I grew up um, kind of hating on global warming. Right, I grew up in a pretty conservative, uh, like farm farming community. Right, homeschooled, and um, we kind of made fun of you know we, we were we were country boys. We kind of made fun of global warming, and as I've kind of gotten out of everything, I don't know if global warming is really the most accurate uh, way to describe it. But climate change or environmental changes for sure um, plays a huge role in our world today. Did you have you seen the the terrible Amazon wildfires that are going on right now? Yeah, it's pretty wild. Though I must say, I love the uh, gathering of people that are getting together from all over the world to bring some intentionality to praying for rain and and all that other stuff. But it's crazy, like what it takes to, you know, get people to get in action or change patterns of behavior. It, it is it crazy. And what's interesting is, so I have a friend of mine who. Do you know who Logan Paul is? The name is familiar. I don't big, know. Big YouTuber, yeah. blonde YouTube dude, got like 20 million subscribers. Anyway, he, he's a big YouTuber guy. Anyway, uh, he's got a podcast um, with, you know, they get hundreds of thousands, millions of views every episode. But uh, the co- one of the co-hosts on there is named Spencer. He's like a big environmentalist guy and he and I are friends um, now. And he is, he actually flew down there. He just got in this morning. Wow. And so they took, because he's like a videographer, he lives out in LA. Um, and so he's uh, like a videographer, camera, like storyteller and, and all that jazz. And so he has a reach and obviously he's connected through, you know, Logan and Jake and that whole thing. I mean, to, to tens of millions, literally of people. And so um, they're down there right now trying to just better understand what people can do, 
right? Like mm-hmm. it's, it's like hard because like, what do you do? You just sit here and we just kind of go, oh, that's really sad. But like, yeah. you know what I mean? Like, how do you know where to donate? How do you know how you can help? So he was down there and he said that like, just one of the craziest things is that like, it's all man-made. Like they light them on purpose. They're just, they're mowing them down down there. And it's every year, these cattle farmers, they go and, you know, we in America specifically, but you know, around the world, we eat so much meat that they just need more and more room for cattle. So they literally go, the farmers, they buy up this land and then they light all the trees on fire to make room to plant, to plant, uh, or have room for the cattle. So this is literally all man-made on purpose fires. Isn't that crazy? It is. You know, a friend of mine on their Instagram stories, I love that you're bringing it up, was literally talking about that. We're so much, you know, at least in the state specifically, so much of our meat and like all of it, it comes from there. And so it's like, yeah, one thing, what can you do? It's like even choosing consciously with your meat and cash obviously keeps the world going around. And so, you know, acting with your wallet uh, can definitely say something. So it does. And I think that, you know, a lot of times people just, they don't know how to make even the small changes. So if you can be that person that just goes and makes, figures out a way to be a voice of change, right? Even if it's like in your local community and you go out there and you're like, hey, we're not going to eat, I don't know, fast food, McDonald's, right? Like whatever that is. And instead, here's what we're going to do instead. And you get 50 people on board or 20 people on board. Well, now I feel like at that point now, you've, you've figured out a way to show people that they can go without it. And most people, they just need the path. It's not that they're not even willing to do it. It's that they just don't know how. You know what I mean? Completely. Yeah. I uh, was just in Israel. I just got back a few weeks ago and was with a bunch of musicians and artists. And I'm also a musician and singer. And we were literally standing at the Syrian border, like literally like not even eight months before, like bombs were going off, refugees, like miles, not even like a mile in front of us. And so it was just one of those moments coming back to this conversation of like, what do we do or how do we even know what to do to take that first step? And I find that's the beauty of so many of our gifts, like especially even as like artists, you know, for me, I literally wrote this song. I was working on it this morning on my deck uh, on my ukulele called Crossfire. But it's like around the same theme we're talking about of like, how can I like beyond the, oh, that's sad. Or like, wow, I feel something for them. How do we bring this into our life? And I feel like so many of us, we have this piece of the puzzle, whether it's our unique gift, whether it's our superpower. And as we express that, as we learn to relate to that, as we learn to articulate that, it is a clue of literally how to take just that first step. It's not like, okay, I got to go start this whole humanitarian campaign. But it's like you were saying, it's like, what's that one action? Can I write that one song? Can I you know, do this one thing with my gift? And so I think, yeah, it's another piece in the self-expression, another piece in the unconventional life, which is like what, you know, my whole thing's about what we had you on with our podcast. But I, you know, I love these themes of conversation. Yeah. And I think that that's super important. And I think that people oftentimes forget, like, we all have to, you know, people are after essentially happiness, right? In life. I mean, I think we all want to be happy. Um, And I think that, you know, all of our decisions and everything that we do ultimately is either to move us away from pain or towards pleasure. And when you realize that you go, okay, well, if everybody's after happiness, happiness is something that everybody can have, that's going to look different for everybody. And we're created, I mean, I'm uh, religious. And so, I mean, I, I would attribute it to God, but it, you know, if you wanted to call that something else, whatever that thing is, like when we were created, we were all created with our unique gifts, our unique skills and our unique talents. And if we were to all just go and use and focus on specifically what we were good at, and not worried about the money and not worried about, you know, the fame about it all or whatever, and just really just did what we were passionate about. I think nine times out of 10, the world would end up being a better place. We would all end up being happier because we would get to do what we love to do. And it would all like, you know, collectively together create something really beautiful. But we're so caught up in, you know, Instagram and everybody else's life that we forget to do what we ultimately want to do. You know what I mean? I totally do. You know, I had this moment a few years ago and uh, it's literally like coming back from one of our unconventional life, like five day business accelerators. And I was on the plane coming back from South Africa and I like started to like to look at my life and it was just like one of these long plane rides too. And it was like from the outside, you know, it's like I had all this great stuff going on. I won all these accolades and all these things. But like even on the inside, there's still something missing. Like my daily experience 
of joy, like my joy quota was still not getting met. Like I kept chasing this, oh, when I would be on the villa in Cape Town, South Africa on vacation, like, oh my goodness, that would make me happy. And then like I get there and I'm like, but still something's missing. Or like as soon as I, you know, come back and like I sign this client and I do this thing, like that will make me happy. And then like something's missing. And so I find like for me, it's been this process of slowing down and it's like experiential, like what moment by moment by moment can I get the direct experience of joy or whether that's happiness. And like I find those like incremental wins ultimately do create, you know, sustainable happiness and joy. Uh, but it's definitely, I think even as entrepreneurs and like high performers as well, you know, it can be like chasing salt, false summit to false summit. Of like yeah. this will be the thing or I'll be the thing. And I know you're about to go on this massive around the world adventure too. And so, uh, you know, I think presence is such an important value uh, in the process as well. I 100% agree with that. In fact, um, one of my favorite authors' name is Ryan Holiday. And he talks about how... Have you read any of Ryan Holiday's books? Yeah, he's, he's great. Yeah, he's one of my favorite, if not my favorite author of all time. Um, and he talks about how in his prime, that he was going and going and going. It was just on, on, on. And so he started having to go to like therapy to like help him like calm down, not become like a workaholic. And he said one of the things that he realized was, you know, that he was a human being, not a human doing, right? Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, oftentimes I think that we need to remember, like, hey, if we just take a moment to stop and, like, remember that, like, we're alive and w- we have so much to be thankful for and that our career and what we do is our contribution to the world, right? Like, that's how we go and create value, but that's not what defines us. It's simply, you know, what we're doing there. And so, you know, we as humans, if we want to be happy and if we want to go and achieve purpose and, you know, all those different things, like we must first start with figuring out ourself and, and figuring out where we're at with all that. But um, I do want to, I want to move into a little bit of your backstory because for those that don't know who you are, and <laughs> even for me as well, I mean, I know a little bit more about you than say the listeners do so far, but let's talk, I want to kind of move this segue. I feel like you're talking about doing your part and finding your voice and doing what you love kind of kind of fits into what you've built and what you've done. And so um, I want to kind of just shout about that. What do you do? Like what, <laughs> like g- g- give me a, give me a two minute summary of what you've built and we'll dive into that a little bit further. Sure. So I actually uh, spent most of my life trying to answer that question. Actually, let me interrupt you real quick. Let me back up. Sorry. <laughs> How old are you? So I just turned 30 in April. So, okay. I, so you're I n- newly, newly 30. Newly which 30. Means, yeah. Which means you have like, like 30 more years before you start to get a little old, right? <laughs> totally. So you I have plenty of time. Plenty of life left to me, but yeah, my, uh, you know, I like have been an entrepreneur the last like 12 years. Uh, my dad was a wall street accountant guy and ran my first like six figure company, knocking on doors, house painting business at 18, got into feather hair extensions, Amazon book publishing, ran a seven figure company at 22, then had a business partner and bezel a bunch of everything, a bunch of money, lost everything, then went into $200,000 worth of debt overnight at 24. Had like 20 some employees, got the other side of business. And then had this crazy near-death experience, a wakeboarding accident a few years ago, which then ultimately launched the company that I have now, which is called Unconventional Life. So it's been total uh, evolution. And Unconventional Life really started with this idea of how can I tell stories? Uh, How can I create more permission for people creating a life by their own design? And, you know, like when I went to college or even before, even being an entrepreneur, like back in, you know, 2011, not that long ago, eight years ago, it was like this concept of, you know, still this risky thing. And you look at it now in 2019, there's a million and one ways to make money. Literally from your laptop or anywhere, you can invent anything. People are inventing new careers and ways, uh, vehicles for themselves every single day. And so I started, um, got approached by Forbes to start writing for them and ended up launching uh, this podcast called Unconventional Life. So Unconventional Life essentially is a podcast. We tell stories of people from all over the world following non-traditional paths. We've reach millions of people in over 75 different countries. And permission is the focus of the conversation, as I like to say, per my mission, of really bringing together people that say, yeah, I know how to make money in the world to some degree. Yet, why is it that when I go to bed at night or when I wake up in the morning, I still don't feel this sense of fulfillment? And how do I have that lifestyle? 
and alignment and great relationships in this holistic perspective of success. And so that's really the nature of the conversation behind Unconventional Life. And then from that, we put on these five-day transformational life and business accelerators. Inc's ranked us as top event for entrepreneurs. And more than anything, we've just built a community of lone wolves, I like to call it. People that you don't have to explain yourself to. People that just really get you and also get that, you know, like it's like when you hit a peak in your life and everyone's like, your life is so great. Why, why are you questioning that there could be more? Why do you want to sell your company? Why do you want to quit your job to actually have people that say, yeah, I get that. Who knows the rhyme or the reason, but that feeling that you feel, yeah, that's worth paying attention to. And not only is it worth paying attention to, that can actually be the key to the life that you really, really want to have. And so uh, that is also the nature of the conversation. So Unconventional Life podcast, uh, Forbes column, um, you know, live events, experiences, company. And just a big community that's really, you know, catapulted itself over the last few years. So that's amazing. I, I want to, oh man. There's so much to unpack there, and I have so many questions <laughs> for like personal questions about this. Uh, I think I want to start though. Let's back up to your dad. You said your dad was, uh, you know, a Wall Street manager, money manager. Yeah. He was a Wall Street accountant. Yeah, so he's oh. a big guy up at Goldman Sachs uh, okay. many years ago. Yeah. Is that so? That's. That's maybe a really different life than a lot of people listening understand, right? We had um, a gentleman on here not too long ago. In fact, it was by far our most downloaded episode who he used to be a Goldman Sachs money manager. And now he you know, runs a money management firm of his own, but helping entrepreneurs with, you know, know all the loopholes and whatnot. I'm curious to know though, if you're, you know, your father comes... I believe that your parents play a huge role into who you are, right? And so like, you know, I come from a hardworking family. My parents are still together, love each other. Money was tight, uh, you know, paycheck to paycheck, but never in need, right? Like I would say, you know, middle class. Um, And then, you know, there's some people that come from, you know, like literally the hood, single parents, things like that. How did your dad working on Wall Street affect you and like your entrepreneurship journey? And like... Uh, from from two angles. One, f- first being the angle of like, okay, like how did it affect like your decisions to uh, you know, go off on your own versus the pressures to like go to college and work on Wall Street? And then also, how did it affect your money mindset when it came to what you knew you were capable of? Yeah, great question. So, um, you know, I to back up even a little bit more. So I grew up as the oldest of five girls, raised really Catholic family, grandparents. My mom was one of six. They're still married. My parents are still married. So very, you know, traditional um, family upbringing. But my dad, his mother was actually a Puerto Rican immigrant. And so my dad's dad died when he was 18. And so he really like made it his way up kind of as I got older. So like the upbringing that say my younger sisters have had like very different reality than the dad that I had um, as I was growing up. And what I mean by that is my dad would leave at six in the morning, come home at nine o'clock at night. And he ran the house in so many ways, like a boardroom and my mindset, you know, my dad, he got paid to figure out where the holes were of, you know, billion dollar deals right. <laughs> and essentially be the guy to, to prevent them. And so he would come home and I'd be like, dad, I've got this great idea. And within like a second, he'd be like, did you think about this? Did you think about that? What about that? He'd be like, dad, I just want you to like, you know, approve my idea or whatever. And so that mindset of seeing the holes in things is how I really learned to think. And it started to shape my reality where instead of seeing like opportunity and optimism, I just saw what was missing. And that very much, in my opinion, is some of the the cracks of being an entrepreneur. And so that mindset was built really young in me. And that work ethic, you know, we didn't have much growing up, but yet we lived in Fairfield County, a super affluent place. I actually left this like private yuppie high school to transfer to a private Catholic school, like frankly, in the middle of like the quote ghetto in Connecticut is Connecticut's a ghetto, but it kind of was. And I went from being like a white majority person to being like a minority in this school just because I couldn't relate to the kids. Like my life was like, it's like I was living like parallel realities. In one sense, my dad's working Goldman. He's making good money, but he's like working his way up as I'm going. And then I'm in this environment with all these like really affluent kids and they're getting everything handed to them and I'm working three jobs. And so like, it was kind of a lot to, um, to balance. And my dad always had this phrase, you know, there's no freedom without economic freedom. And that really stuck with me. And so 
I didn't even know why I was working so much, like why I was bagging groceries, working at an ice cream store and, you know, uh, simultaneously being a host at a restaurant. But I just knew I needed to save money. And so I started to become obsessed with the concept of saving money. Even as I got into like college, it was like watching my savings account grow was more joy or more pleasurable for me than like going out and like buying some clothes or spending something, you know, uh, whatever, uh, at the movies or whatever. And that stuck with me ever since. And that really, you know, I learned a lot from my dad. But in college, you know, when I got this internship, it was literally a clipboard. I'm freshman year, University of Colorado in Boulder. And it's like, hey, you want to make a bunch of money this summer? Put your name and number down on this clipboard. And I was like, sounds great. I don't really want to go back to Connecticut. And they taught you how to run your first business, which at the time was a house cleaning business. And so I literally went around, knocked on doors and asked people if I could paint their house with frankly no experience. And I got really good at it. I like booked $150,000 worth of work in like three months as this like flowery skirt, drum playing, guitar playing hippie chick, and no one could figure me out. Like I didn't fit into the boxes. Yet those seeds of like, there's more and I can do more really began to grow. And you know, the last point to your question, as they graduated and as I was in college, I kept finding success, but it didn't match my dad's conventional frame for what he wanted from me. He was like, cool, you're getting this. This is a great thing. And I was like, dad, I want to drop out of college. And three times I tried to drop out. And he was like, well, if you do that, Julia, we're going to like disown you and you're going to be on your own and blah, 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 blah. And, you know, it was a lot of harsh parenting. And my dad and I have a different relationship now. But like when I graduated, he was like, you know, you're going to be an entrepreneur. And it really, we really fought each other on it because it was such a risky unproven, not safe way to operate. And, you know, flash forward now and and everything else, and it's much different. And I even have sisters that are circus performers in Belgium. And another one is like, you know, a pole dancer, a fitness dancer, and does her own like online training thing. And so we've all taken very different paths, but I, in a lot of ways, paved the way. And so dual realities was a a theme um, that occurred to me, you know, through my childhood and, you know, a lot through my life as I began to develop. That's super interesting. And I, I, yeah, that's man. That yeah, that's crazy because when you have a really strong parent in your life that you know is pushing that, like that can often be hard to push against. Like that's crippling for a lot of people. Yeah. And so for you to be able to push through and still, it sounds like you still have a a decent relationship with your father now, right? Yeah, he's like my biggest fan. <laughs> he's okay, like, Tell perfect. Him right. He's like, right. Yeah, totally. <laughs> and, and and that's you know it's interesting. So like. Um, one of the things, obviously, I'm sure you know Gary V. Um, yeah. like one of the things with Gary that you know a lot of people I don't think understand is that you know he's like you know hey screw your parents right like go do what you like to do, and then his reasoning behind that is basically like listen because I'm trying to save the relationship on the back end because I know that there's going to be regret if you don't, and your situation is literally the situation that he's describing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think that that's super interesting. Yeah, absolutely. So, so you go and you get out of college, you decide to become an entrepreneur. It sounds like you had a pretty crazy ride though, like right out of that, <laughs> right? Like 27 employees at yes. one point? Yeah. So my, um, so my first, like, so that from the doors, knocking on the doors of house painting, I ended up running like $150,000 business that year and figured out how to hire painting crews and do all of that. And then I don't know, I mean, you are a gentleman, but there was this big like feather hair extension craze, which girls putting feathers in their hair, I helped start this trend that went uh, viral in 2011, right as I was graduating. It was my first internet business and literally like profit margins. I would get these feathers from a fly fishing shop. We would dye them. We would wholesale them to salons. Each individual feather, you could buy a package of them for like $30 for 200 feathers. In high season, there was a feather drought and these feathers were going for $35 per feather. So like it was, My God. yeah, it was like, and then I was like, oh, I can get dinged on PayPal notifications to my phone while I sleep. And I like taught myself how to build a website. 
I taught myself Google ads. I set my budget at $5 a day, which was like the biggest thing ever back then. Right. Now what I know now, I'm like, if only. Yeah, I was like rolling big some days I put 10 in, you know, but right. I didn't even need to. I like really dominated the market um, from an organic traffic perspective. And, uh, you know, but anyway, so that, that peaked and boomed. And then I got approached actually in a bar in Breckenridge. Um, I was winging a girl, being a good wingman to my friends. And um, this guy ended up approaching me and her. And anyways, we uh, started uh, working together. And he was like, you know, my buddy figured out the algorithm to make books bestsellers on Amazon. This was back in 2012. Uh, you know, are you interested in joining us? And I was like, okay, this sounds interesting. And so before Amazon Kindle ever became a thing back in 2012, we figured out the algorithm and turned it into an online course, did a seven-figure launch, and then we're a boutique publishing house, one of the first actually between self-publishing and traditional publishing back then um, for a lot of personal development and health and fitness authors and people like Mindvalley and you know, Dave Asprey and some others. And so, um, so that was kind of our thing. And then literally like a few years in, everything was going great. You know, we had all these employees and uh, a business partner embezzled a bunch of money and really got the other side of everything which in so many ways, um, yeah, shifts it a lot. So, Okay. Oh, man, once again, you got such a great story. <laughs> yeah. uh, well, uh, but let, let's, talk, let's talk about people here for a second, just in general. You just decided that you were going to go and learn how to build a website, decided that you were going to sell feathers, feathers, feathers <laughs> right? Like that kind of sounds like a ridiculous idea before it's done. Right, like this <laughs> yeah. was this was pre, b- before like we knew really what social media and the internet was capable of. Right, like this was what twenty eleven. You said twenty eleven. Yeah. So so like Instagram wasn't even a thing yet. Right. So like YouTube was just getting hot at this time. There wasn't people making millions of dollars doing stupid stuff yet. I mean, there was, but not to that extent. Most people, and how old? How old were you roughly at this time? Like twenty one. Yeah. Like, okay, so like college, end of college. Most people are getting out looking for a nice job, um, sixty, seventy, eighty thousand dollars in debt, right? Like, gonna go on their life and just do their thing for the rest of their life. And you're over here, like, let me sell some feathers and build <laughs> websites, and you know, go put five dollars a day into Google Ads. Why don't more people do that? It's a great question. Uh, I think in a lot of ways, it's become per my mission, permission is actually, I think, the answer to it. And I think that's really what's been the catalyst for why I am such a storyteller and why, you know, Unconventional Life started is like, especially back then, there were no examples. Like you couldn't just like point to X guy on YouTube, X Instagrammer and be like, oh, they're doing it. Like I could totally do it. Right. And I think that in so many ways, we put these artificial ceilings, we place these upper limits on what we believe is actually possible. There's what we want, and then it combines and it conflicts oftentimes with what we actually think is possible. And those some of the two then becomes the actions we make and then the choices we take and then ultimately what our life looks like, in my opinion. And so I find that when you can actually look at like where these like beliefs and these things, these upper limits come from of what's possible, and if you can blow them out of the water, and when people get that experience of like, oh, well, if she's doing it, if she's, if this girl can go sell hair feathers to a fly fishing shop and like figure out, you know, the website, then man, maybe I can take that one step and like reach out to this one person and do this one small micro thing that might then lead to the next step that might then lead to the next step that then becomes a breadcrumbs. And so I find permission in so many ways has been something that I know has massively impacted me, but for all of us. It's like I even hit my own upper limits of like, I'm like crushing, 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 new tolerance, new level. And then it's like, oh, here's that upper limit again, whether it's in like money or whether it's in like music or whether it's in, you know, business. And and I think that's part of the human experience. But I also think that it's like why shows like this and conversations of this are not only like important, they're like requirements. Like you cannot do what you want to do alone. Like our word, in my opinion, literally creates our world. We're actively generating our environment every single moment, every time we open our mouth. And we forget that we have that power sometimes to just create and recreate ourselves. And so if there's something for all of you that are listening to this, even in this conversation, you know, it's like what you're speaking is in so many ways 
you know, becoming the environment you swim in. So like being in dialogues like this, like it's essential to to create and call that forward. Yeah. And and even just listening to conversations like this, you know what I mean? Um, I I always tell people, I'm like, you've got to control your intake of, I mean, I bash on social media all the time, but media in general, like you've got to control what's going into your ears because like what's ever coming into your head, like those are going to shape your thoughts and if you know you're shaping your head with negativity or with things that say you can't do it if you know like and, and doing all that like the, ultimately you're not going to be able to do it but once you feed yourself with the belief that you can and give yourself as you said permission to do it like you can go a long way but my question then becomes we live in an instagram world where i mean instagram affects our reality instagram and facebook both but like i mean it affects our reality in so many ways like everybody's on that and so because instagram and like the picture perfect lifestyle and like the things that you like have to do to grow and be present on social media oftentimes like that's not really reality right so like how do you balance being like genuine and just real like with I guess what I'm trying to ask is like I feel like sometimes my life I get to do some pretty cool stuff sometimes right and I don't want to be disingenuine in the sense of like hey not not show my life because I'm afraid that somebody else is going to be jealous or whatever but on the flip side of that I don't want to just brag and show off and be like yeah look at how cool my life is yada 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 and feed into this trap that I think ultimately is getting people depressed so like how do you make sure that you're inspiring without coming across as like I'm better than you or like you can live this life too when in reality you know that most people probably won't live the life that you live they're going to live a different form of their life. Like, how do you find the balance there? Does that make sense? Yeah, it totally makes sense. I mean, it's a great question. You know, like even coming back to the Instagram thing, you know, I remember for like, you know, the longest time it was like, I must get over a hundred thousand followers. Like it was like my thing. Like it was like, I gotta like, like it became like this, like status, like this compulsion. And I didn't even understand why. And then ironically, when it happened, like it wasn't even like, like it didn't even feel real. And then flash forward to now, like, (laughs) I'm like, I rarely post anymore. And I'm like, you know, I don't know, I'm going through my own love hate with it. I think we all do in terms of social media. But I think that, you know, for me, truth is, is the simplest answer to your question. And the way I relate to it is that I really believe that when we speak truth, when I speak truth, when you speak truth, when we post truth, like when we're actually just being in the frequency or the resonance of truth, Truth trumps everything. Truth is also inarguable. It just still means that you cannot like truth and you can have a reaction to it or you can have an opinion to it. But at the end of the day, when truth is being spoken, even if you don't want to hear it, it, it's like you can't argue it. Like there's a piece of you that like knows and can relax into the like, like you just feel it. It's like a feeling that happens. And so, um, so for me, I always am in this question of like, how can I like stay in my truth? Like how can I do my own work to the best of my ability. I'm a human. We're all, we all have humanity. So it's not like you can forever, you know, let go of ego completely. But I think there's moments like even in Israel, I was with these like 50 super high, you know, music exec people from all over the world. And, you know, like my ego got checked and it's good to get your ego checked sometime in my opinion. It's good to be humbled. And I think it's this fine line of humility and dignity of being able to stand in your gifts and your excellence. And really, I think a lot of us work really hard. I'm sure you work really hard. I work really hard for what I have. It's being able to stand in dignity while simultaneously being able to hold humility and being able to say, yeah, I can take my expert cap off and I can be a beginner sometimes. Or I can, just as I post lifestyle photos on Instagram that shows me in these amazing places traveling, I can also like post a photo and like really like share openly. And I noticed myself you know, I'm very much like this introverted extrovert and, you know, ironically, even though I like public speak and do all these other things, but I found that it was hard for me to let people in. And even in terms of how I would come off to people, 
like it, I would come off because I wasn't opening myself for revealing my inner world a lot of times. It was like, oh, she's just this way. She just has all these things. Look at her houses. Look at her photos. Look at her stuff. And then when I actually started revealing myself, people were like, wow, wow, she isn't just like cold or one dimensional. Like the labels of like, oh, she fits into this box or he fits into that box. We start to get related to that. And even, you know, for you or for anyone hearing this, like think about the times where you were so sure about someone or something, like you were so convinced. And then like you found out it was the complete opposite. Or frankly, so many of us were like master storytellers. We make up master stories about our reality or what's going on with our friend or our significant other or our business partner or what will they think. And then when we actually get in a relationship, we actually ask, hey, what's going on with you? Or like, huh, what did you mean by that? Like so often um, there ends up being even more revealed beneath the surface. And so, um, you know, long-winded answer, but I find for me, the more I can practice truth, which comes from that balance of humility and dignity, the more that I can't, like, if I spend all my time thinking about what are you going to think or what are people going to think about me? Like, of course, it's normal part of the human experience, but at the same time, it's also like, and also in so many ways, it doesn't serve anything. And at the end of the day, like, we're all doing our thing. And if I can stay the most true to who I am while doing it, then, then I trust that that will just land exactly how it needs to, even if it means it's disruptful or even if it means it's absolutely amazing. Like either way, I'll trust that like, if I'm in my gifts, like coming back to God, like God will do the rest. I, wow. I mean, that was a very in-depth answer. And I, I like what you talk about there. Specifically, I want to, I want to focus though on the truth aspect of things. Cause you mentioned that a lot. How do you determine what truth is? And because this is a big question that I I think right now in my life, I am very much trying to prove. So like, um, you know, a little context backstory around the reason I'm asking this is like, my brother passed away in March. And he was very much a truth seeker. And, you know, someone that, you know, he traveled and, you know, experienced a lot of different things as well. And, constantly was seeking out that truth, very religious or, or like very much into studying religion. And um, I've picked up a lot of that sense. I mean, I already was kind of that way, but even more into that. And so like for me, I, I look at the universe and I look at the world and I go, okay, there, based off everything that I've studied, there must be some form of absolute truth. There has to be, like in order for the truth to exist, there must be absolutes. Uh, in some format or another, even if that's just one singular absolute, there has to be an absolute somewhere. Otherwise, then, you know, there is no truth. And so would you agree with the statement that there is absolute truth in the universe? I would, I would agree with the statement and I would put an and that it also is mapped and interpreted into each individual's way. So I think there is universal or ultimate truth. Right. I also do think that it is like your truth, my truth, like it is actually delivered individually. Yeah. And I would, I would agree with that. Now my question, I guess the next part of that question would be, okay, so we're assuming that, I mean, we're agreeing on the fact that there is absolute truth in some format or another. Maybe we're not quite sure what that looks like, but there is that absolute truth. I would agree to say that there is something that is revealed to each person. I do believe that there's absolute truth for everybody. Like, hey, killing people is a bad thing, right? Like, that's a pretty absolute truth. Um, (laughs) But like, you know, there is a lot of truth. In fact, I would say most truth and ways upon which we live like are probably more like your truth. But where do you get that truth from? Where, where does that come? Like, where's the source yeah. of truth? Great. So for me, uh, it comes in God. And so like for me, I, I believe that how I access truth and how we as people can access truth is through listening. And so, you know, for me, like having a really like sacred relationship and frankly conversation with God is how my insights or truth like comes to me. It's a practice of, of listening whether that's in nature, whether that's in prayer, whether that's in art, whether that's in experience, it's truly listening and, and actually slowing down enough, removing distractions and noise to hear. Hmm. And so if someone were to say, all right, God, which by the way, I am 100% in agreement with, I believe in God, but someone could also say the argument then would say, okay, but like, who is God? Is it the God of the Bible? Is it the God of 
Catholicism or Mormonism or Allah? Or is there, in your case, one specific God or one religion that you hold to and that you believe in? So for me, I identify being like Christian um, is more my belief. Uh, I also really believe a lot of Jewish traditions as well. Mm-hmm. Um, but for me, I believe that like in terms of accessing this conversation, like it's not exclusive for me, like in the sense that if you want absolute truth, then you must be a Christian to have it. Right. I, also, I think that God, source, divine, um, all things that, you know, can, can say kind of the same name. I hold this belief that we all have this, I call it this hose, this universal hose that's hooked up to the sky, if you will. And literally like our gifts, our insights, our knowings, our truth comes through it. Like our, our knowing of what to do next comes through it. And oftentimes we have these kinks in our hose, which can feel like doubt or fear or history or whatever it is. And it prevents or inhibits us from hearing our truth or from knowing what to do next. If they're like little micro kinks, but I don't believe that some of us have this or some of us don't. I believe all of us have it. We access it in different ways. And in the way that I relate to it, I notice the more that I've really gotten closer to God, the more that I've like my version of God, the more that I've listened more, the more abundance, clarity, and peace of mind I've seen show up as a result from my dedication to listening. Hmm. Interesting. I like that a lot, man. I could talk about this topic forever, but for the sake of time, we do need to move on. But uh, this is a really really good topic. I want to move on to talk a little bit more about the uh, unconventional life, the podcast, the growth that you've seen there. I know you said it started kind of out of a Forbes column, but I mean, you have quite a bit of reach, um, be it Instagram, your podcast, I assume you probably have an email list and, and just like, you know, your reach in general of people knowing who you are. How did that come about? Because, you know, if you have success on one platform, it's understandable, right? It's like, oh man, if you just have a lot of followers on Instagram, cool, you're probably really good at understanding how Instagram works and hacking the, you know, hacking the thing and great, you've had success there. But like you have, you know, you've reached millions of people with your podcast. You've reached, you know, you have over 100,000 followers on Instagram. You have written for Forbes. You have this influence. Where did that start? And how were you able to grow as quickly as you did? Yeah, great question. So for me, I think I did all the wrong things first, meaning I tried to be everyone else but myself. And in so many ways, like I'll look back on like old videos or marketing strategies where I was like, I'm going to teach people how to have the seven figure launch plan to being an entrepreneur. And like, I was like regurgitating what I was hearing. And there's not nothing wrong with that. I actually think everything that we do does in fact give us, you know, the foundation as we grow, but I wasn't being myself. And actually I feel like the moment that I embraced all parts of my self-expression and didn't just compartmentalize, here's the time where I show up for marketing. Here's the time where I show up for business. In this area over there is where I show up and blah, blah, blah. Like I really put all the ingredients in the giant cocktail at the same time. And I was like, this is the beverage that I really started seeing the results. And for years, you know, like I would, I would try things and they would stick to a certain degree, um, but they wouldn't always stick. And I would watch people. I would envy people. I would listen to shows like this and be like, oh, it's like so far out of my reach. Like I'm never going to get there. The gap is so massive. And when I finally let that all go to some degree, like I started just doing what I cared about, which coming back was like this permission and storytelling, that stuff like clicked. Like literally, like I uh, was like approached by Forbes. I said to my then boyfriend, like this was in 2016, like, yeah, I think I want to start writing for Forbes. No journalism experience, no blogging experience. And it's not like I then reached out to 20 editors. I just held that as a really clear intention. I was very specific. It was Forbes. It was very clear. And like two weeks later, they reached out and said, hey, do you want to start writing for us? And instead of just accepting the offer, I was like, well, actually, I have this vision for this podcast. And it's called Unconventional Life. By the time, I had no idea about podcasting. I didn't have a podcast. I only had an idea and a vision. And I just shared it with no expectation with to what could be and no fear of what wasn't already. And literally, they were like, wow, we would love to have it be the official podcast of Forbes 30 Under 30. 
And this was in 2016 when podcasting was like kind of coming online more and, you know, whatever. And they're like, you can own all the content. You can just like host it on our platform and write Forbes articles and embed your podcast. And I was like, okay, <laughs> this is pretty cool. And they're like, yeah, they're like, oh, when can it be ready? And I was like, uh, three weeks. And like, literally I start researching everybody's podcast. I go on the iTunes. I see what's in the top 100. What are people putting in their keywords? What are they talking about? What are their interview questions? I was like binge consuming, binge consuming. And then three weeks later, I'm sitting outside of the ice at the hot springs in Iceland on a portable Wi-Fi device. And I hit send on my first ever article. And thank goodness I had a copywriter boyfriend at the time because I was the worst speller and <laughs> like still kind of am not the best at grammar. I did eventually get better. Um, but it, it started to, to click. And like at the time I had no vision for unconventional life being what it began. I just had this compelling knowing that I needed to tell these stories. Like it was just, that was the only piece of information I had. Like I just knew I had to tell stories. I didn't know it was going to make money. I didn't know how I was going to make money. At the time, this was just my like passion like thing. And I find so many of us were like, if we can't conceptualize the revenue model in step 10, then we won't even let ourselves begin. We yep. won't even allow ourselves to begin. And so I followed that compelling nature. And then like six months later, like we're kind of getting some views. And then I have this crazy dream. And literally I see 30 people gathering and I wake up in Bali are the first words out of my mouth. And it's our vision for the first live event. No live event experience. I never wanted to do live events. I frankly hated attending live events. I was conferenced out. Yet this nagging, compelling thing was once again like gnawing at me. And I think so many of us, we have it. And so like lo and behold, I bounced it around with my boyfriend and I was like, all right, I think I'm going to do it. And seven weeks later, I sold out our first event with the podcast. And it was the first time where I was like, oh, this thing can make money. So it was like eight months, no revenue, two months, six figures. It was like, holy crap, that's nonlinear success for you. Rather than like, if I can't have my 2K a month plan at this increment of this thing, it's like the, I find that the way alignment works is you have to be prepared that it might feel like seasons of drought and then boom, inflection point into huge feast. And then it's like, feels like you're just skating along, skating along, and then boom, next inflection point. And it's non-linear reality creation. And then lo and behold, you know, we followed that. We got picked up as like a top event for entrepreneurs. We got ranked on all these podcast lists and like things just spiraled. But I stayed true to myself, to that compelling nagging feeling. And I stayed present each step of the way. And like, it was the first time, the first business and all the businesses that I've created that I did it in that order. I didn't do it because I had this master bulletproof business plan. I didn't do it because I knew X, Y, and Z would happen. And like, lo and behold, it's been the most fun, effortless, easy money that I've ever made with the most flexibility and the most freedom by, by proxy of it. And I don't also want to say like, the whole thing has just been so easy, everyone. So figure out what you're passionate about and life just happens. It's been a lot of work as, as well, but it's been that continual commitment to trusting and to surrendering. This is what I know to be true in this moment. I'm going to choose. This is what I know to be true in this moment. I'm going to choose. And that, our natural instinct is to not be in uncertainty. And so it, it is a practice of choice, of really choosing every day and knowing like, crap, I can't make, I don't know when this is going to make money. How long can I sit in that uncertainty? How long can I trust that that nagging feeling is true? How long can I stay in? And it's usually just when you're about to give up or just when you think it's not possible. It's like when you stay that extra second, but that's when the results really show up in my experience. So. No, I, I 100% agree with that. And I think it's super cool because like, you know, think different theory, there was no monetization plan. There was no, I mean, I just sold my company and now I'm all in on Think Different Theory and we still haven't made any money. I mean, this just happened yesterday. So I mean, I'm <laughs> not, not, not too worried about it yet. But like, you know, it's like I, you know, for Think Different Theory, like the lives that have been changed and the opportunities that have come up and the people that we've been able to talk to and have on this show because of the, you know, this. And like, this is cash flow negative. I mean, this costs me over $2,000 a month. I have a, you know, I have a support person. I have a team that, you know, produces everything for it or whatever. And like, we just went for it. And I look at it now and I'm like eight months in, you know, we're on our eighth month now. It's like so many things have become so much more clear. Mm -hmm. And, you know, people look at me and they're like, oh, Josh, you know, you're great on camera. Like you're great with words. You're great, you know, blah, 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 blah. And I go, you know, like, 
I've done over a thousand Facebook lives, but you know how different a Facebook live is than a podcast? A Facebook <laughs> live, I get to talk to people in real time. That was my jam. You know, I had to go through this process of finding my voice. I had to go through the process of what I'm going to talk about three episodes a week, every single week, right? And like you go through and I just, but I had this just burning desire to go, no, I need to share my experiences through life right now because I know that I'm at this point in my life where I'm going through things in a way that like I know so many people go through and can relate to. And like I just have a burning desire to go and share this because I do think that I have an interesting perspective. And I do think that I'm very committed to searching for things where other people are not. And that I, you know, because I'm willing to work hard, have access to things that not the average person may not be able to unless they do do the work. And just to to show like this side of life. And it's been amazing what has become of that. And there was like no plan, no strategy, no like anything. It was like, hey, here's Think Different Theory. Here's what it's about. Here's what we're going to do. Let's go. And here we are today, you know? And uh, I think that's super, super cool. I do have to ask though, because I know this is a question that I'm going to get in the DMs that I should have asked you. I know my audience well. (laughs) Um, Forbes doesn't just call up random strangers and be like, yo, what up? Want to write for us? So like... Where did that connection come from? (laughs) Great question. So I have this near-death experience um, in 2015's wakeboarding accident and literally like full-on like come out of the MRI in the hospital, this like white figure approaches me, six black shadow council conversation of Jules, you have more work to do in the world. Do you want to do it? And I said, yes, as long as I don't come back as a vegetable. Literally like zapped back into my body, felt this energy forge my neck back together and shoot down my spine. And the moment that I woke up from that, like everything shifted. And I, I share this as context because it really, it really has been the dominoes that started. And you don't have to have a near-death experience, in my opinion, to uh, have like your own relationship to this. But it was literally three weeks later, I was in a neck brace um, <laughs> still. And I get this call from a woman who I met at a TED uh, speaker training uh, workshop. And she was just like, you know, uh, do you want to come to the UN? I'm working on this like 17 sustainable development goal campaign. Like I'd love to have you represent us in like higher education. And I'm like not in higher education, but literally like she knew what I was doing with like some other stuff. Unconventional life, not a concept at this point in time. And I was like, well, it's not really the best time. I'm kind of in this neck brace. And she was like, okay, well, if you can pull together, like come be there in three weeks. And literally like I got all together, I showed up and literally as I was at the UN, um, I got invited to come to Forbes 30 under 30. And it was from there that I got on Forbes's radar. So this is now in um, October of 2015. And then Forbes gave us this like little app. And in this app, um, it was for people that uh, were invited to be at the events. Um, and in the app, um, I put it out there that I was interested in uh, like talking to people who were living non-traditional paths. I just like, I was like, oh, I'd love to have conversations with people living non-traditional paths. And then that was like a week later that Forbes sent me an email and was like, hey, uh, we'd love for you to start writing for us. So that's how the connection happened. You got it. Yeah, yeah. But like you, you took action. Like you just, you put it out there. Like you gave yourself a shot, right? Oh, absolutely. And like, and like people just don't do that. They're like, oh, there's no way. This will never <laughs> work. Not me. I'm not going to get taken. And it's like, you know what? You might not. But then guess what? You also might. You know what I mean? And like, it's funny. I was listening to, uh, you know, Grant Cardone, um, who, you know, is probably one of the stingiest people in the world when it comes to like your, you know, your money. He's like, you know, don't waste your money, you know, save, invest or whatever. But he was talking about this, the, the lot, a lot of this was, I don't know, probably eight months ago, a year ago, maybe. And it was like the, the biggest Powerball lotto in the world. It, you won over a billion dollars um, if you, you know, if you won. And somebody had asked him if they should buy a lottery ticket. And he's like, if you don't buy a lottery ticket, you have absolutely zero chance of winning a billion dollars. If you do buy a lottery ticket, which normally, you know, like normally is, you're not, you don't want to waste your time and do things that are, you know, speculatory or whatnot. Like, at least you give yourself a chance. It's two bucks. And who knows? You'll see what happens. And he goes, and imagine if you did win, you have more money than I do. You know what I mean? And it's like, when, when, the, when the chance is like that great, when it's like, when it's your dreams, when it's something that you're going after that would totally change your life. And it's not costing you anything. It didn't cost you anything to go and, you know, put your name out there, put, you know, say, hey, I'm interested in doing this. Like, 
yeah, chances of your name getting drawn might not be that high. There might be 50 other people that are more qualified than you are. But we forget that we're not the only ones controlling who picks what. I mean, there's energy behind this. There's, you know, an alignment. There's, you know, a manifestation is, you know, a huge thing. There's, you know, people just vibe better with people, the way that you write, the way that you talk, like you have a unique skill. And oftentimes, like you don't even realize the skill that you have. And if you write in a certain way or talk a certain way and you don't realize it, somebody else might see that. And you've got to take your shot because if you don't take your shot, you have a 0% chance of winning. You have a 0% chance of actually going out there and doing it. And so, you know, that's why I tell people, I'm like, it might not work for you, but it might. And so if you take your shot at that, in the in, only, by the way, only, and I'm only talking about spots where you do, actually don't control the outcome, right? Obviously, there's a lot of parts where you do control the outcome. But in those places where it's like, hey, a perfect example, like I shot my shot with Grant Cardone. I literally Snapchatted him on, G, on, on Snapchat back when he had a Snapchat. And I was like, hey, can I, or will you promote my Instagram course? I know you're looking for it. And people thought I was crazy when I did it. And I sent him a period, you know, eight times or nine times in a row every single day to try to put a uh, bump it up to the top of his newsfeed. And guess what? He opened it up, replied, and that's how Grant Cardone promoted our Instagram course. You know what I mean? And it's just like those little things of like, take your shot. What's it costing you? Who cares if the answer is no, at least you tried. And I think that that's a super important thing. And I think that it's something that probably summarizes a lot of what you've done in your life. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And it's like, you know, I find it's that fine balance of being prepared and being ready. And then simultaneously, just like saying yes, like being a yes to life. So yeah. How important are our network or is networking and have your like network connections been in your career? I think it's massive. Like, I think I'll even swap network with community. Um, you know, for me, uh, but I feel like networking community, I mean, it's all of it, you know, not only for just what it doors that it's open, but ultimately like the conversations and the level that I'm operating and even the way that I'm thinking. And so, I mean, hands down why we literally, we do these like five day business accelerators twice a year. Like our next one's coming up on a private Island off of Madagascar in December. Like it's like people come to these so that they can have, you know, that next level. And so, uh, yeah, it's been like tenfold <laughs> for me. It's why I keep doing these events still, you know, it's like I show up and create my own events such that like those, um, connect points are so um, essential, like requirements in a lot of ways. Yes, I 100% agree. Well, Jules, oh my gosh, I can't believe it's already been an hour. It seems like it goes so fast <laughs> every time I do these things. But thank you so much for coming on. Um, I do want to move to rapid fire questions. But before we get to rapid fire questions, I've got to ask, where can people find out more about you and follow you more closely? Because I imagine that there's going to be quite a few listeners here that are like, I got to go check her out. Yeah, all the good stuff. So if you want, uh, we have this awesome tool, the 10 tools to living your unconventional life. You can go to unconventionallifeshow.com or if you like podcasts, which I imagine you do, you can search unconventional life on iTunes, Jules Schroeder. Uh, you can type that into Google. You'll find all the things there. I also do a lot of music stuff. And uh, you know, if Madagascar and exotic world travel are your things, we do these business accelerators. So you can just find them on the website there. That's amazing. Schroeder spelled S-C-H-R-O-E-D-E-R. Jules is J-U-L-E-S. Jules Schroeder. All right, Jules, thank you so much for coming on. Let's move to Rapid Fire. Um, Guys, make sure to go check her out. Rapid Fire is just where I ask you a couple Rapid Fire questions, and then we end one uh, with one question that I ask everybody. Okay, first question. What is your favorite airline to fly? United. United, really? Interesting. I fly with my dog oftentimes when I can. She's a support animal. They make it really, really simple. Uh, And I also find I go to a lot of places all over the world. And so I get the best conversion on miles. Like I can fly to Bali and back round trip for like 75,000 miles. Wow, really? Yeah. So, and my Chase Reserve card converts directly to United along with Southwest and several others. So I find I get maximum value dollars, um, rewards, bonus points that way. Then, then I mean that's good. It's just funny because like most of the people, most most people that come on here when I ask them that question, it's it's usually Delta, and United is usually the one that people hate. <laughs> totally. And so I'm like, all right, so switching it up here a little bit. <laughs> that's good. Okay, um, if I had to guess, I would say that you're probably not a car fanatic. Is that correct? Yes, ish. Though I just bought a new car a few days ago. What'd you buy? I just got a BMW X3. Ooh, that's a nice car. All right. 
But okay, so normally I ask what's your like your dream car, like you know your fantasy thing. But usually when women are on here, which we, I actually just did a, an interview this morning with a, a lady who is awesome. But um, I ask what like what is your fantasy, like your splurge thing? Is it a house? Is it cars? Is it travel? Like what's that thing where someday when you've got a half a million dollars, right? Or a million dollars or a quarter million dollars to blow on something that doesn't make you money is totally a personal thing. Like, what is that like thing that you would spend money on? Oh, so what just came to mind was literally like taking a like four seater jet, one that you can fly low on. So you can actually like really see over stuff. And I would love to travel that like all over um, the islands, kind of off like Madagascar, like Mauritius, the seashells. And just like, it's really expensive down there. It's also one of the most poorest places in the world, which is probably why it's so expensive to go down in terms of tourism. But nonetheless, I would probably just hang out um, on a beach and just like enjoy visual air travel. And then I've always wanted to get my license as a helicopter pilot. Ooh, that'd be fun. And so I would probably find some place to post up and then do that. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Hey, that's that that's super, super cool. I, I, I like that a lot. Okay. Uh, favorite food? Favorite food. I am really into these chickpea puffs right now. They're called hippies, H-I-P-P-E-A-S. They're from Boulder and they're fantastic. I eat gluten-free and dairy-free, so I'm digging this as a snack right now. That would make sense if you're gluten-free, dairy-free. That must be rough. <laughs> uh, I give it to you. Seven uh, years strong. <laughs> oh, wow. Okay, so, you are, yeah. uh, so you're committed, committed. Yeah, a tower story for another episode, but a lot of concussions left me um, brain dead for a while and I healed my brain through food. It was one of the ways. So that was what was the catalyst for that. Interesting. Okay. Um, what is your like coolest life experience that you've gotten to do? Coolest life experience was probably improv singing at the UN. Um, so one of the gifts that I have is I can create full songs uh, in the moment and was literally uh, the General Assembly for, for about 20 minutes, having no idea what I was going to sing or what was going to come out of my mouth, except that we were going to start in the key of A minor. And it was fantastic. Talk about a experience of being totally present. Um, that was definitely a rush. That's super cool. That must have been nuts. It was completely nuts. And then to tell everyone at the end, oh, by the way, I just made that up on the spot. Like that was a whole, <laughs> a whole other thing. So that's crazy. Well, well yeah. done. Thank All you. right. Uh, what's your biggest um, regret in life? Biggest regret in life is probably the amount of relationships I've had. Um, I have definitely bounced from relationship to relationship. Like I think I like the one and a half to three year mark. Uh, so like four relationships in the last like 11 years. And I find that it's like, it's taken me a lot to figure out my balance of like work, focus, career, and that importance with also like life and relationships. And so um, my regret was probably not devoting enough time into relationships sooner. Like I've been doing the work now, but I wish that I would have uh, realized the value and importance that I would get for myself and in, in what I'm creating if I had started many, many years ago. So, Huh. Interesting. I love the honesty on that one. I appreciate that. Okay. Last question for you. And this is a question that we give to every person that comes on the podcast. We end them with this question. And that is, um, fast forward to the end of your life, you are laying on your deathbed and everything that you've done is gone. All your money's gone, your impact, your success. Nobody knows who you are. However, every single person that you have impacted either directly or indirectly through your life, throughout your lifetime, you get to leave them with one final message that will stick with them. What is that message? I love you. Thank you. I see you. I love you. Thank you. I see you. And I am always here. And I am always here. What does that mean? Just felt like the words. <laughs> felt like the words to say. I think, uh, what does it mean? It's literally like a presence of, I believe that love, like we are all love in so many ways. Like for me, when I had that near-death experience, God, I also relate to as love. So remembering yes. of that. Um, I see you, meaning oftentimes we don't even need to say things when we feel people and feel and have people's attention and presence. And being seen by someone, having our, their presence on us can do so much more than what we can say. And uh, I am always here. Like I also believe that um, our legacy, our, the words we say, just how we show up 
it, it lives, you know, as imprints. And so, um, so that would be my words. That's amazing. Jules, thank you so much for coming on Think Different Theory. I appreciate your time. I know you're busy. Um, guys, this has been the incredible Jules Schroeder. Uh, Jules, any last words for the podcast? No, uh, Josh, thank you so much. Listeners, it was so great to uh, be on the show today. And Josh, I love what you're doing. Like I said, when we had you on the show, if you want to check out Josh's episode, you can go find him on the iTunes. But I loved your vibe. And now I really get it. So uh, thanks so much for having me on the show. Absolutely, Jules. Thank you so much. We'll have to do it again um, soon because I feel like I feel like we could talk for a few more hours and just kind <laughs> totally. of dive into so many, so many things. Especially once I like once I start traveling with everything and get a new perspective <laughs> and kind of see. We are we're going to Bali and we're going to go to some oh, of the places God. that you you know you mentioned. So it'll be fun. So um, thank you for your time. I appreciate it, guys. As always, hustle, hustle. God bless. Do not be afraid to think different because those of us that think different are the ones that change the world. And even if it's just your own world, thinking different will do that for you. I love you all and I will see you on the next episode. Take it easy, fam. Peace. Yo, what's up, guys? You've been listening to the Think Different Theory with myself, Josh Forty, which I like to call a new paradigm of thinking. And real quick, I got a question for you. Did you like this episode? If you did, I want to ask a huge favor. See, the biggest thing that helps this podcast grow and that will spread this message of positivity and making the world a better place is if you leave a review, a rating, and subscribe to the podcast. What that does is it basically tells the platforms that this is out on, that you like my stuff, and that I'm doing something right. So if you could take like three seconds out of your day and subscribe, leave a rating and a review, I would be forever grateful for you. Also, I want to hear from you. I want to know your feedback, your ideas and your questions for future episodes. So be sure to hit me up on Instagram in the DM at Josh 40 or via email contact at thinkdifferenttheory.com.